You know what, it's a real pleasure to be back for a second volume of the Giles Peterson Worldwide Podcasts. We are focusing on different record labels. As you know, last time it was the Brownswood record label had to start off at home. We are right now in the basement of Brownswood and uh, in North London. And it's Pete, what's going on? Oh, it's um, December. It's still pretty mild. Well, nearly December. It's still pretty mild outside, and um, you know it's, it's been just super mild. mild. What's that? It's a very strange winter. The leaves um, are still on the trees. Indeed, and um, unfortunately, well, we're we're both North Londoners, and you know, I guess probably there's a good sort of second starting point or, <laughs> or follow on from Brownswood and um, disenchanted Arsenal fans, and. Um, um, life is okay. You tell know. me, you tell me in the, on the way up here that you wrote a letter to Arsene Wenger, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, I, I'd had, I've got this crazy notion of starting a football academy in Ghana and um, seeing Arsene keep saying that he wants to go to Africa and um, teach little, uh, young kids up and coming out to play football. That um, you know, it makes sense to get some land and um, team up with him but unfortunately Arsene told me he's got better things to do with his time right now but I should get in touch with Liam Brady and um, you know uh, speak to him because I'm always interested in players and um, you never know one day he'll um, let me know so 
that's um, life outside BBE for uh, now. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed that he wrote, he wrote back to you. Then. I was sort of like, it, it kind of reminds me, like, when I think the first time that I tried to license Summer in the City for a compilation for one of the Strange Games compilations, and the lady at Universal said to me, Quincy Jones turned you down personally. You know, it's like, you know, how can you be mad when, you know, it's bad, but it's from, you know, the man that you admire the most, possibly, it, it's, you know, you, you've got to be happy. You know, I've got a signed letter from Arsene Wenger in the house. Well, I've got to give you a big compliment about your record label because you celebrated, was it 10 years? 10 years, 1996 started. So BBE Records, um, barely breaking even? Barely breaking even, Universal Robot Band. I'm sure you know it well. Yeah, I just <laughs> that, found a, a, an original of that because I couldn't find my original copy, which I actually, I had a copy which came out on Streetwave. Yes. But and then, I know it was the one before Moonglow. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah but I just... Um, that's a great track, isn't mm. it? That's your, that's your roots, right? Well, yeah, definitely, and that was definitely what it was named after. I mean, it's it, that and the whole sort of Philly sound and um, the sort of, um, I don't know, punk funk records like, I don't know, Cameo and Rick James and all that kind of stuff, because that's what my mum, my dad, my, my, my uncle used to listen to. I was just speaking to my mum recently, and she was saying that she went in 1970s, she saw James Brown at the Hammersmith Apollo... Um, saw Billy Preston and, um, you know, all those sort of people. So that was a lot of what I listened to at home. My dad was very much a sort of Stan Getz, Chet Baker sort of, you know, Monk sort of person. So had that. And then my, my um, godfather is actually Mac Tonto from a Sibisa. So, you know, there's that too as Your well. Your uncle? My my godfather. Oh, is Osibisa. Yeah, and Mac Tonto, um, drum and bass player from Osibisa. Amazingly, you haven't licensed any of their catalogue. I haven't, but I've, I'm on the verge of doing it now because I'm doing my sort of a Time for Africa comp, which I'm going to use as my sort of platform for my sort of business ideas in Ghana. And um, I think um, you're going to see some of Sibisa and just sort of like Pan-African sounds of like, you know, all the sort of big things that were there, you know, Miriam Makeba, Patapata and, you know, those kind of stuff, which are, you know, sort of universal hits across Africa sort of type So your, your, your sort of roots are Ghanaian as mm-hmm. opposed to Nigerian. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people make quite a lot of... Sweeping sort of generalisations. Well, about Africa, but also mm. about, you know, Nigeria gets, obviously because of Fela, it gets a lot. But there was a lot of music that came out of Ghana, right? Yeah, lots lots and lots and lots. And I think if you, know, you look at Fela's bands and stuff, most of the, the lots of the musicians were from Ghana as well. And there was a time back in, back in time when a lot of Nigerians came over to Ghana and then vice versa, you know, just through to economic reasons, there was a lot of migration between the two, even though there hasn't always been that sort of like... Um, I don't know, um, there's been some sort of distrust or whatever between the two, but I think generally there's been some good collaborations and stuff musically, food and, you know, everything else between the two, marriages and all sorts. So it's 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 worked and, you know, that's, that's just the way of the world. BBE Records, 10 years ago, started off. What was the first record? The very first record was a compilation, a Stop and Listen Volume 1, compiled by Bob Jones. And um, for me, it was kind of like a a soulful sort of counter to the journeys by DJs and stuff. And there wasn't, everything was, you know, there was, there was a lot of stuff. There was obviously before that, there was all the, the street sounds and all that kind of stuff. Maybe in some ways a continuation of that. And, um, and also kind of like trying to say that the whole sort of soul and funk thing was still kind of relevant because of the resurgence of the rare groove thing that was happening, you know, well, prior to that anyway. But there was also a lot of stuff that you just couldn't find on CD. Now it's, too much that way but at that time there's still like some crucial things that you couldn't find that weren't reissued and it was just kind of like 
you know, just try and get some of the leading lights in the sort of genre to kind of show the way. It was and also a time before, it was a strange period at one stage where the compilation album was something you could go and buy in the shops, but the mix album wasn't really there yet. So the DJ's name at the front of it was... I remember a lot of albums that I was doing, sort of the Jazz Juice albums, for example, or the ones I did for Blue Note, my name was just like in little... Like a, yeah, that's all it was. And I think I wanted to take that back from the music and kind of make it about the DJs who are kind of educating people because you could go in here, yourself, Bob, um, whoever in clubs, and people will come to the things that you were doing, whether it was London calling, whether it was, you know, whatever it was, uh, that's how it is, up around and stuff, and they, they would follow what you were doing. So it's kind of like my idea, you know, obviously at that time, and it didn't happen, but it would be okay if it was a Giles Peterson and stop and listen, then you could kind of, you, you, you could follow the the route to to what you were doing and, you know, kind of get inspired by it and hopefully go and find other records, which is how we all did stuff. Is you, if you bought a record and you looked at the back and it had Herbie Hancock, George Benson, whatever, playing on it, then you go and buy a George Benson record, then you'd see who was playing on it and do that. And it was kind of my way of kind of uh, extending that whole thing. So. And was it a hobby at the beginning or was it more... Still is. <laughs> Did you have another job? Or? Um, I, at 96, I think I had just quit working at Next, um, which I was working part-time. And I think that was the last sort of part-time job I had. Uh, I, think, no, I think I quit in about 93. And um, I was doing parties and just DJing. So that was kind of like my income then and still pretty much is. And, yeah, that was it. I, I think the last job before that was actually working for the VAT office um, in the fraud enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then that was it and, and just carried on. It was just a hobby. It was just something I did on the side and I just never really thought I'd be doing this still. Excellent. We started off with um, a track. We're going to talk about the separate artists a little bit later on, but we started off with a track from JD, Welcome to Detroit, the album that you released, and uh, a song that he wrote specifically for you, right? Yeah, BBE. I mean, I, w I went to see him in Detroit, and um, he's just playing through stuff he'd done, and he said, I've done a song for you, and um, there it was on the album. and It was, it was very nice because it was the first sort of commission sort of artist album that I did as opposed to something like the Ravi Harris which I licensed him from someone else and um, for him to do something that was kind of relevant other than other ideas that we talked about like for example Think Twice which he was playing on the mixtape on the car and he was also working on Erica's album so I was like well why can you, can you do that with Erica but it was like too much the whole palaver with getting clearance from Kedar and stuff and you know if so he did that as well but then he did something that was just specifically about BBE and he did something sort of post-futuristic electronic craftwork type record that he'd always wanted to do and also really summed up the whole spirit of the whole beat generation thing as like having freedom to do something totally different and he was always like really happy every time he saw me he's like I'm really glad you gave me this opportunity to make this record where I could do whatever I wanted to do and whatever sounds I wanted to explore so, yeah, very personal and very sort of nice record to have. I mean, obviously, um, tragic, um, his death in 2006, actually the thing that we'll remember most of this year. Yeah, yeah, very, very sad, very sad. And uh, more, so, well, very sad for the fact that, it, it, you know, my dad suffered from lupus, um, suffers from lupus and still had to go and get treatment. And I went to see dinner in about November last year and then seeing him in a wheelchair, very sort of skinny, just kind of, it just brought back a lot of painful memories. I thought I'd 
boxed away from 88 and stuff so very difficult to take and seeing someone in that condition condition and sort of still determined to get on with what he needed to do um but yeah. how, did, how did you first meet him i met him actually through kenny dope who um said to me you know you should get to send him some some of your records and stuff he'd be into that and then Slum Village were coming over to do some press and promotion of the first sort of, I think, when it finally got picked up properly for, and to put out after Universal dropped it. And um, they did a show at Subterranean, which is now Neighbourhood, and I went over with some records and compilations and stuff, chatted to him, said I wanted him to do an album for me, said yes straight away, and three months later the album was delivered. It's just like a, <laughs> a dream, really. It's, a, it's just amazing sort of way of just meeting someone and then just sinking straight away and then just being on the same, you know, on the same wavelength and making things happen together. And so. it definitely emphasises the old, if you don't ask, you don't get. get. Definitely, definitely, because this is a guy who probably, I had no right trying to even get him to do something on the label and people were like, oh, how the hell did you manage to persuade him? I said, I asked, he said yes. It was as simple as that. It was like a two-minute conversation. And it went all the way through to the album that you released this year? Yep, it did. It did indeed. And there probably would have been another one that would have happened in the middle if it hadn't been for just him being not so well and just other commitments, etc. at the time. So, um, And actually, we talked about The Shining for a while before, you know, eventually it came to fruition. Um, I think the, the main hiccup that he had a production deal with Universal and that kind of like changed the dynamics of how he was working at the time. And, um, yeah, it's just really sad to listen to that album that I've never really fully been able to sort of get into that record just because of everything else behind it. But at the same time, it's something that he really wanted to come out. It's something his mother really wanted to see the light of day and, you know, went as far as honouring that as well and making that happen. But a very painful sort of weird memory thing for me personally. I mean, the reaction in the world of music was uh, was quite amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just we um, had a video done for um, Won't Do, which um, we should have the video in very soon. And, um, you know, Will I Am, Common, um, Talib Kweli, all, you know, doing cameos in the video. And you just see from the sort of comments from Pharrell and Kanye and stuff, the influence he had on other producers and um, a whole bunch of people who didn't know what he did or didn't really know his name because he wasn't sort of so visible all the time. Um, just been really good to see how people have reacted in general to his music and the legacy he left behind. He had a unique um, way of working his beats and making his music. In a way, who's going to replace him? Very good question. I, I don't know who, who that is because it's almost like he, he, he took the whole thing of sampling or just the, the, the sonics of making records or, or those type of records that he made in a different direction than it'd been before it's going to be really tough for another one like him to come along definitely it's it's just the way he heard things and the way he reinterpreted them is just so unique hard to hard to compare him with anyone else really current or you know and since and and probably going forward there's a very we might wait a while to see something that quite someone that in in innovative to come along again one of the other people that you've worked with, uh, who's another of these people who's so famous, and when I first met him I was a little bit in awe, but 
the nicest guy you could possibly meet, Jazzy yeah. Jeff. Right? Awesome, awesome. I mean, he, he's come down to to the house in in Highbury, and you know, and and had dinner with him, gone round to the house, and he's a very warm person. It's just so you just think that it's just going to be something totally different, but they can actually sit there and say. Oh, um, you know, me, me and Jeff are buddies. It's just really weird. You, you, you know, you, someone that you listen to while you're, you're, you're a teenager and stuff, and then all of a sudden you're just, um, next minute you're doing stuff together, and it's, it's a bit of a trip. It's, it's even more of a trip, being in his house, cooking, and then I hear someone say, hi, Pete, and I turn around, and it's Will, who's coming to Philadelphia to visit his mum, and, you know, just being in the house, you know, with all with him and Will and a whole bunch of people and just, you know, sharing stories. It's very, very bizarre sort of thing. It takes a while to come down to earth from that one. Africa, Times and I still find new ways to recognize shine. It's like light gets better with age. The way your song sounds better on stage. And rhyme books get better with each page. But before the first bar was written, a first verse was spitting. Before label execs was bullshitting. Way back when Auntie Lean, Aunt Mamie, and Aunt Jackie was babysitting. Before food was bitten, consumed through a nipple. I'm talking about when times were simple. To make a long story short, it goes Port au Prince, Knoxville, and then love in the city that never sleeps. From thought to finish, I was born just a couple of weeks. Late, stayed home longer just to make sure everything was on straight. All systems go, cut the umbilical cord from old earth to new earth. Manhattan the turf for what it's worth. My mom held me down one deep. Pops was absentee, but mind you, don't sleep. It took a village to raise me. Lean taught me how to read. By the time I went to school, I was in high speed, ready, willing, and able. Jackie taught me how to add with dried up black eyed peas on the kitchen table. And coming home to a mother's love and good care, never wanting there was always enough, except for when it came to education. It's like she had one rule, there's no such thing, it's too much school. Not to mention, Lean taught me how to play the piano, and then every summer I was out in South Bend. Grandpa's a bartender at the country club. Me and my cousins from Grand Rapids was flipping it up. Me and Granny watching Notre Dame football, gold and blue. She said, You can't beat the team in the bees, too. Some say I got my sense of humor from her, and I learned patience from making models in the basement. Brooklyn, New York, to wherever you at, this is autobiographical. Taking you back with no time for refrains. I barely got enough time to explain how hip hop captivated my brain. My mama raised me on soul and Beethoven. Sports clubs and private school put me up on soft rock. That was cool, but I left Z100 and WPLJ to find bliss would be a lesson. Kiss video music box showed me what time it is. Wrote my first rhymes of Corey, but J Live was spark. Making pause mixed demos with my main man Mark from playing ball in the park. There was other heads too. I was the herb of the crew. Then I learned what to do. Got my way up in school. Started battling. 
riding the fools. She nice, my friendly rival at the lunch table. He started sparking the dark with Damien and I date. I was down for a bit, but that was just a DJ. Started spinning in the PJs, spotting them. Back and forth from the tables to the pad and the pen. Then I had to do a bit upstate, but wait, I wasn't incarcerated, but college educated. And soon the Albany, I was a full time student, part time MC. At the time, Raw Shack was the place to be. Living on Dutch Quark, started building with guards, 16 man squad. By the time I now was 120, we was just five deep. I went from Mecca to Albany, a student, and landed in Medina as a teacher. And how does mine reach her? You recognize what's happening. I'm making records and I'm winning, but that's another story, and it's only the beginning. I'm in New York, so That sounds really good again, doesn't it? From the magnificent DJ Jazzy Jeff, Giles Peterson. We're talking to Pete from Pete Adakwa. Yeah, yes. I always get that wrong. <laughs> BBE Records, Bailey Breaking Even. Ten years this year. Big party um, at... Uh, at what was it? Canvas. That's the one. <laughs> I, was, I was really surprised that you chose Canvas because we did a party there just a few months beforehand. Yeah, and there was all the drama and stuff. <laughs> and you, and then, hang on, hang on, hang on. You were, de- <laughs> you were DJing after me and I was desperate to get out of there because it wasn't great. And, uh, and I was desperate. I was like, where's the next DJ? And like, Pete's on. Where is Pete? Pete's not here. Where's Pete? So in the end, there was some guy who was standing next to me who played Happy Hardcore who just said, I'll play. And I was like, whatever. So he went on and he started playing the worst music and um, the worst thing about it was it went off when he went on <laughs> <laughs> and then I went, out, I went outside I was like where's Pete Pete didn't want to come in yeah. <laughs> well it, it was just too much drama on the door and all that kind of stuff and and, and 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 unfortunately, they can't get their security in, in together. Right. Well, I did the party there mainly based on the size, and I wanted to do something that represented a lot of the different DJs on the label. Um, you know, Giles here kindly came and you know did his thing and, and really got things going. But unfortunately, and I have to apologise to everyone who had to queue outside for hours on end to get into a venue that wasn't even at that point wasn't full that they had to be queuing up yeah, you and were took really, so long you were really unlucky I think because a few days previously someone had been shot at Scala well yeah exactly so they were being super cautious about the numbers and stuff and that's understandable and I think everyone who but, was there or anyone who would go clubbing would understand that you know the, int- the security of people's the safety of people comes first above everything else unfortunately the the morons on the door just couldn't do their work quickly enough to to get people in there. So it's like come one o'clock, two o'clock, and it's still only just starting to get full. And um, you know, it, it kind of for, for the best part, most people were happy after that. Like someone said to me, you know, I, I waited three hours to get into the Masters Work Party in Miami. It was no big deal to me. On the other hand, you know, people telling me they were crushed outside and stuff. So that wasn't good. Yeah, and um, slight difference in, slight, a, yeah. in climate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, Jazzy Jeff smashed it, didn't he? Absolutely smashed it. Absolutely smashed it. He, he's a don. You know, it's just um, it's amazing to see it. I think also often you have these um, 
10 tablers who are just 10 tablers and that's it. And, you know, and then there's a big difference between being one of those and being someone who can actually rock a party. And Jeff is one of those I can do combine both and get everyone in, in the mood. And, um, yeah, it's a great night in the end. I, li- I love hearing him play house music. Because he plays house music really well as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's just funny. I mean, I, I hook him up with a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's like we talk about it a lot. And, you know, I gave him my whole sort of iTunes catalog library and stuff. And, you know, we go through stuff. And then he turns me on to stuff. And there's a really good couple of tracks he's put me, put me on to and stuff. So, um, God bless him. He's on his way to Malaysia today for a tour. I think he's there from today till the 10th of December doing a whole bunch of parties. And I think it does some... So there's one venue where he does hip-hop one night and does house the next night and stuff and you know it goes on really well so he he loves DJing because I see him a lot he seems to be DJing a lot doesn't he which is really weird because at the time when I did the Magnificent with him he was just the only things he was doing were the the sort of supporting Will and probably earning like a hundred thousand and beyond just doing those one gigs so he didn't and and he had the tattoo there studio so he didn't really go out and do do anything because it was just like what's the point when I'm earning so much money doing this and um so what I did when we did the album, I said to him, look, I'll get you four gigs, come over and DJ. So we did Not In The Last Club, we did Cargo with him and a live band, and then we did The End, and then we did Barambra on a Sunday, so in the space of like a Thursday to a Sunday. And um, that started to wake up his desire to be back out on the road, and then from that, then he, you know, talked to him about the Winter Music Conference, he went there, enjoyed it, did some parties, and then it's just snowballed from there so i'm taking credit right now for getting jeff back out on the road and he will tell you the same thing i mean not only do you deserve credit for that but i think it's really great the way you've sort of approached people like jd and and jazzy jeff and will i am these people who kind of they're the sort of backbones of so many projects in terms of concept they're kind of modern a and r in the way yeah and yeah. and and these guys you know they're players and I think it's brilliant that you've been able to come up with a concept of inviting them to do their own records. I mean, Will I Am, you've done two records with him, right? Done two records with him. His, you know, first two sort of solo records outside the the Black Eyed Peas, and that I mean, they literally him and his manager Seth just saw him and uh, an advert for JD's album in the Source magazine. Found my number, called me up, came down to the house, and. We talked, left me about three sort of samples of what they were doing. And actually the first Will I Am record, Lost Change, which you did support really strongly on the show, albeit a bit late, because one day you just rang me up and said, you know what, I heard the song and I really must come and get a copy from you, even though you're the first person in the world I gave a copy to. Anyway, so then you just started hammering this record. And it was just, it was just a really nice record, which he done for a Levi's campaign. And um, Universal weren't interested in putting out the record and stuff. Unfortunately for me, the record was scheduled to be released on the um, the ninth, sorry, the eleventh of September two thousand and one. So that absolutely killed the release. You know, couldn't ship any records anywhere. I think it was a week after. I couldn't ship any records anywhere because there were no planes flying or anything like that at all. But musically, it was just a really great stand-up sort of soundtrack album. Um, fortunately, nothing happened. And then after that, you know, he, he, he sent me another record. He said he was working on a game for some sort of ad, you know, ad company, something. And um, 
it, it was had a, he sent me the track list and there was a track on there by a guy called John Stevens and who the hell's John Stevens anyway the person changed the name later on and then uh, John Legend and so it was also like the first John Legend record that I'm aware of anyway and that's out on BBE so that's for a label with very little resources and stuff it's quite weird to find myself in the situation of doing a lot of fairs for people who then become household names as well in a way did you make sure that you got yourself a little cut off any future productions by Will <laughs> <laughs> if only I could if only I could it would be the world would be a different place right? and then from then they just went absolute stellar Mate, unbelievable absolutely and no one cared about them before that you know even though they did make some good records um, Weekend and um, Joints and Jams and things that like that that was the first was... couple of albums yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. and then yeah. They, something happened with them and they were like okay if we press this button and add it to that and, and add a girl in way. there and then that's it and then it's all going to change and lo and behold it just went absolutely how many sales i don't know i hardly speak to him these days <laughs> oh, let's remember the old days and play the the john legend track john stevens john stevens I gotta know just who you are, so tell me your name. I like the way you groove and glide, like the way you slip and slide. Maybe later on tonight you'll come play with me. And oh, show me to another place. And oh, show me how your honey tastes. And oh,
tell you what, thank God you didn't sign Fergie. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Will I Am with um, very. It's funny how John Edgeman sounds a bit different somehow. I mean, it sounds like him, but it doesn't. yeah, but yeah, early early recordings, and it's a really good tune that. Swing, pick it up. It's still right. there. So you, know. you, what, you, you're still in touch with him, right? You still. I, I see him on Instant Messenger every now and again, and we sort of have like very brief conversations. But yeah. you know, I had the sort of speech to him. Sure, the sort of person, if he's in town, he'll always call me. So um, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's on the know. phone book. It's, it's, so I'm not going to call you by your surname anymore because <laughs> I, I've never known you as a surname. In my in my phone, you're, you're just Pete BBE. Okay, that's uh, what, that uh, works for me. That's totally. What am I on your phone? You're Giles P. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Um, so we're just going through some BBE's moments. We, we're playing some classics right now, and we're just about to get to the Royers bit, which I'm so excited about, because just listening to his music over and over again, it still sounds good. We were just checking some tracks earlier on, and they sound brilliant still. Um, because, yeah, let's let's talk about Royers, because when you said to me that I'm going to New York because I've been hanging out with Royers and he's got all these tracks from the You Know Melodic label and all these recordings that were meant to come out on Polydor that never came out, I was like, can I come with you? <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about that hookup. And how well, that was a funny one, because we did, um, in part of the Beat Generation series, we did a record with Marley Marl. And um, I just sort of like, it must be one of those moments where I was just thinking, trying to get Marley to think outside the box of just doing a straight up hip hop record. So I thought, um, I, I just, I don't know why I pulled that record out, but the Royals, the first one on mm. Polydor, and then Hammond listened to that, and it's got that sort of nice sort of backbeat to it, and thought, it'd be nice if we could cut that again. So I called up Louis Vega, got Roy's number, spoke to Roy and said, we want to remake one of your songs. It's like, yeah, fine, I'm around on such and such a day. And I think it was actually, it's one of those things where it was like, it was a day, it was the last day of my trip to New York or something. So I had to get on the plane that evening. So the song had to get recorded that day. So it was like, okay, I wanted, I know what I wanted. Went and hired like the vibes from some, a, a music store actually called Airs Music, which had nothing to do with Roy, but just <laughs> just also named Airs, and um, got the, the the vibes over there. Got some musicians together, and then um, Roy picked up Roy from his place, came down, and well, we drove down and talking. Thank you for coming and doing a session, as you know, all this kind of stuff. And um, <clears throat> I, I just said again. Is there any stuff that you did in those? Because you did, like, from 1970 to 1980, you did, like, about 20 albums for Polydor. Is there any stuff that you did that didn't make it? And he goes, oh, yeah, I've had this stuff lying around my house. You know, people have spoken to me about it, but no one's actually done anything about it. And I was like, cool, that's it. Oh, I'll send you a proposal, and we'll see where we go from there. He's like, yeah, sure, let me know. Called him up, sent him a fax, you know, offered him some money. He asked for more money, as <laughs> happens with these things. And we eventually agreed on a figure. And that was it. I was on a plane back to New York, go through, went to his house, and then went to a storage unit he had in Harlem, load up all the, you know, the two-inch tapes, take them down to the studio, transfer them, and then came back with about 50 CDs and I had to just sit there and listen through it. Obviously, a lot of it was um, stuff that had been released, so I couldn't do anything with it, but it was just good to come across things like the Ethel Beattie tapes and stuff, which I also wanted to go back and then revisit all of those things and get them all EQ'd and get them sounding really nice and fuller and what, warm. different Ethel Beattie tracks? No, no, the same thing, but like I, like, you know, you know, transferred in the course of it, like the instrumental of it and all this kind of stuff, but it was just like a great, it would have been a great opportunity to do, you know, like just like the Uno, Uno melodic titles, for say, for example, some of them went 
mixed, um, you know, masters nicely as it probably could be. So I just thought it'd be, you know, that's one thing. I it, maybe the one thing that I could go back and revisit with Roy if we could agree on a, on a sensible price, um, and then that could still happen. But you know, it was just all this other stuff and alternative takes of stuff. So Mystic Voyage being one of them. Um, you know, just saw like a tape and it had like life is just a moment. It was like eleven minutes, you know, thirty seconds, and it was just curious to see what that what, what that would sound like. But he wouldn't let me touch that tape, you know, just things like that. So, well, he wouldn't let you touch it. No, 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 that wasn't there. Most of the Polydor stuff is actually in his house, which is the house that he lives in or the apartment he lives in. It used to be James Baldwin's apartment, the the, the writer. So anyway, there's we we. He wouldn't let me touch any of the the, the, the stuff that had come out. So all the other stuff is the ones I could take and then transfer and then bring it back. But it was just um, a wonderful experience. Like you said, it's just like, you know, apart from one or two people, I think most people like something about Roy Ayers. And it was just like a fantastic... I think, I think Roy Ayers, really, we were talking at the beginning of this about Universal Robot Bands uh, and, and your roots and my roots mm. and into the music I don't, I don't think there's anyone who encompasses everything as well as Roy Ayers for us yeah you listen to those records and there's the disco there's the boogie there's the jazz mm. there's the real spaced out Foul stuff things. and he's got such a I mean to me even more than James Brown yeah because there's and like I remember you saying this and there's no real like you have like um there's all these derivatives of James Brown or Stevie Wonder or um, any any of those sort of icons, but there isn't anyone or Marvin Gaye or whatever and stuff. But there isn't really another person who's been able to do what Roy does. You know, the space he brings to those records, the roads, the 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 arp, the the really beautiful sounds he's created. There's, it's a, I don't think there's many people who've been able to like do again what he's done with the same sort of integrity. I think if someone, said, awesome. if someone said to me, who's the hippest person? Mm. Hip. Yeah. <laughs> he's hip. Oh, definitely. Truly. Definitely. Definitely. You, you pick out any of the albums from those those three that I found, the, the Japanese things he did with um, Herbie Mann, and then go from there to about 1979, perhaps. That's incredible stuff he, he did in that time. And some brilliant straight jazz. Jazz, yeah. Which is where he comes from. Yeah. Whew. And you made two albums out of this. Well, yeah, basically we did we did the first one. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to do to 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 do it in the ideal way with everything because otherwise we'd have to have transferred absolutely everything first and not knowing how well it's going to do and all the rest of the stuff. So yeah, we did we ended up pulling in together two albums worth of music, and. Um, I mean, you know, when you got when when you did volume one, I was like, "This is brilliant," and I was it was on all the time. And then you said, "I'm going to do volume two. I was like, oh, "It's not going to be as good." Volume two is really good. There's some really really good stuff on there, mm. and I I was there and made sure I mean, he used his engineer on volume one, and I found an engineer that I wanted to use and did uh, volume two on it. And I think you can tell that the sound of volume two for me is just like a closer to what I wanted it to be and um, really some really good strong songs in there but unfortunately I think it came out at a time where just people just either overloaded with you know all these sort of extra recordings of people as Marvin Gaye stuff came out in between that there's a whole bunch of other stuff and marketplace wise didn't really sort of sit w with it nicely but then I've had people coming back to me saying oh I didn't get that track I didn't get that track or they just sort of missed it somehow it's still out there you know all you have to do is look and you'll find it. These albums are absolutely brilliant. Volumes 1 and 2, Virgin, Ubiquity, Roy Ayers. Can we play Brand New Feeling? Yes, we can. Let's go. 
It's all about the ARP, isn't it? It's mm. all about the synthesizer. Totally, totally. That's just like <laughs> orgasmic. It's, it's a really, really beautiful sound. Can't beat it, cannot beat it. Um, by the way, you've never been to Brownswood before, have you? My first time. And um, so for people listening, what's your impression of it? It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's where you want to be. There's everything that you wanted to have in your house, but, you know, you're probably not allowed to. But, yeah, it, it's cool. It's untidy, <laughs> though, right? <laughs> like, you can't have a tidy record room. <laughs> it's too sterile otherwise. Oh, mate, this place. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, listening to Royas just now, I'm thinking a bit about music today and uh, and, you know where this sort of music is i mean are you are you feeling music at the moment like you like these records I, i'm really struggling with it just finding stuff which you feel it, it's it's weird i've just started listening to a whole bunch of like 70s rock records again and um and and when i dj it tends to be more sort of techie house type things, you know, a bit more soulful, not soul as techie house stuff, like the Ame stuff and the Henrik Schwartz and that kind of stuff. We're probably the least vocals are better, just because I just very few people's voices that actually don't don't grate my ears, so it's just hard. I mean, as opposed to something like what we were listening to with Mary Clayton, who I didn't know at the time, oh, I didn't know, but was a background vocalist on um, for a lot of Rolling Stone stuff. Um, Give Me Shelter she was one of, um, one of the vocalists on there and one of those sort of voices that just kind of like make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and stuff so it, 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 it's a really tough time I haven't said that there are interesting things you really have to search for them yeah I mean, you I listen. Really back, have to say. I was listening about some old Erica Badu albums the other day, and they sound good. Yeah. They still sound good. Erica and Jill Scott. Yeah. Those records. But were, like the first records they did, but after that, it's just yeah, whatever. Yeah, it becomes too A and R, I suppose. Yeah, and Jeff has said that. Well, I probably shouldn't be saying this right now, but I think he's going to oversee the next Jill record. So um, that may or may not happen, but it seems that way, and maybe that might bring back some of the vibe of the first one, which he, he did. So, um... But the tragic thing that I was hearing, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, because you'll know better than me, is that a lot of this neo-soul music, which obviously Jill Scott, Erica, and, and all the others have sort of come out of, and, and, and the hip-hop artists like Q-Tip and Most Def and, uh, and, 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 all, and all of those guys... They're not really selling a Common, you know. I mean, Common's last album sold really well, right? Because he had Kanye on it and he had a few... Uh, it was, they, a bit they, more sort of what, what, what's... It wasn't too like weird, that. right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think there's very little radio support other than yourself for these tunes. I mean, I haven't listened to Trevor's show, so I, but I'd imagine most of it is more the other way around. I think more, more likely we're talking about America, aren't we? I yeah, mean, and, like, and ultimately it has to maybe impact in America first. And I remember one time randomly giving a group of girls a lift home and that was after a club and that was in, we listened to a Commons record and they said, haven't you got anything a bit more rapier? It's a bit jazzy, isn't it? You know, and I think the, the, the kids today just can't get their heads around the sort of the more musical stuff. The more simpler it is, the easier it is to consume. And uh, I, I was one of those mugs I bought that... Um, Fight the 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 British Brews CD box set. Well, it looked really nice and stuff. And you read the liner notes and stuff. And that record sold five hundred thousand copies in the first month of, of release in nineteen sixty eight. 
You told me if that record came out today, how many copies do you reckon that would sell? Yeah, that's true. But but going back to Royer's, one thing that I found quite surprising was that actually, as much as I thought his records were incredible, they didn't sell very well. The original ones, the no, first ones. No, on, they on... didn't. So, yeah, exactly. He's in exactly the same. He's like the predecessor of all that kind of stuff. And it didn't sell well then, necessarily, and it's not selling well now. Yeah, enough for maybe him to keep we, getting... Maybe we don't like good music. Maybe we think it's good music. Good. But really, it's I, I, not. I think I've come to that realization right a while ago that we're we're just still guy has two for up our own houses. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about about the um the the, the up and coming stuff because yeah, there has been a big change and shift. I mean, the whole period of BBE has lived through that, not only in music making terms, but also in the way music's being sold and how people are listening to music. Um, but you are putting out some new stuff at the moment, of course. Yeah. Are you focusing um, as much? Of course, your compilations are, are just bread and butter. They're great. The Kings of series has done really well for you. They're right? doing really well. I think they're all averaging that sort of twenty to twenty-five thousand mark, which is it doesn't it isn't a lot of numbers in the grand scheme of things. But if you tried selling records, you'd realise that that wasn't such an easy thing to do these days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, happy with those. And I think ultimately after the first month or so, everyone who wants a copy who hasn't got it probably downloads it from somewhere. And, you know, that's just the, the, the world we live in. So we have to kind of like get find a way around that. Um, new music-wise... It, it, it's it's vital for any label, and we, we we were talking about this before we we started this, saying that you need I think you need a right blend between um, some compilations and some artist albums. I think you need probably about three or four artist albums a year, and then you can fill in the gaps in your release schedule. Just for the obvious sort of logistics of people who don't understand that, ultimately. If you ask someone to do an album for you, there's no guarantees that you might get it on the day that you wanted to release it at the time that you want to do it. So you need something to keep your cash flow ticking over. It's getting harder now, I think, to find the right kind of stuff that really sort of rocks, floats our boats to say, this is what we want to have, like, look back and say, uh, at over the year and say, look back at the body of work and say, I'm really happy with what I did. It may not have made a mint, but I feel really comfortable with myself that I put out the best music I could have put out in that year. Um... Very difficult, but you know we've found a couple of things, and um, a couple of the old guys coming back. Jeff, for example, so we've got a new record from him, which hopefully might come out in February. But I think we needed it to be delivered last week for it to make a February <laughs> release, so I think that might be in March. And then um, a, a bunch of guys who I, I think have got a really wonderful sound, who was turned onto by one of the interns that works for me, called Portico Quartet. And they've been busking all around Europe throughout the, for the last year. They're about four students. Um, a really nice sound, and I think you, you'll dig it. Okay. Cool, you sold that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here to do. Now, um, on this CD, I've got... Um, what's the track one on this one? Right, track one on that one is Milwaukee, which is a track from DJ Vadim, um, who... Um, one of those people I've known for years and years and years and I was actually he sampled my voice and answer machine message I left on his phone on the very first record that he ever did and it's taken this long for us to actually do something together but here he is the record that he's done called Milwaukee from his new album out on BB.
major musician and idol in the nation of France. And by the way, our rock and roll craze came from France in the beginning. And this rock and roll idol said, he said that rock, acid rock, psychedelic rock, is going to make its debut again in America and the world. It's going to make the past seem like a small hand clap in comparison. It's getting ready again, he said. They say that at times when they're performing on the stage, eight, nine, ten, fifteen, twenty instruments, that something will take complete charge of them. That they will not play their arrangement anymore. But something will take charge of their hands. Something will take charge of their voices. And weird sounds and weird music. You hear what I'm saying? Most of you don't know what is taking place here tonight. You don't realize what is happening in this world. And young people by the millions have been deceived and deluded and duped and doped. I want you to hear me right now. Yeah, I've got loads of time for DJ Vadim. He's been around from year dot. He's been doing it independently. He did some stuff on, on Ninja. I saw his band Oneself last year. They played at the festival we put on in Montpellier in Set, actually, in the south of France. And I was with Yara Bravo. Yana Bravo, Yara? Yeah. yeah. And um, that was really good. Really, really good. And like, yeah, he, he, he works hard, too, as well. He's just, uh, I think, in the middle of like some 500-day tour in the States. Yeah, and yeah they work he, it. He's just really, really working it. So it's, it's really cool um, to to have someone like that in this day and age well for our level of stuff that we're, we're doing to have someone that's actually going to be on the road working hard because yeah. you can't sell records alone just by trying to promote them on the radio yeah. etc no, no, he's good and, man um, yeah that comes out in april actually i mean you're into your you're into your producers aren't you i mean i'm the, the way you know obviously we're talking about jazzy jeff and will i am and and, and so forth but I was just thinking about one artist who you, I think you were the catalyst to him really doing well this year, is Mark Ronson. In in the way, I guess so, because I, I guess after he got dropped from Sony or whatever and stuff after that last album, you know, which I guess the one song from there did pretty well, but I guess maybe the rest of the album didn't. And then we did this um, album of like covers of Radiohead songs and the song that he did just with Alex Greenwald um, yeah, that became a bit of a cult record and just kind of got to the outside of the top 40. So just put his name out there a, a lot more. And um, he's just, well, it, that or coincidence or whatever, but, you know, Christina Aguilera. Um, Lily Allen. Lily Allen. There's, um, Robbie Williams. Um, a Amy Winehouse, I think he might have done something for her. He's got well. that kind of, what he seems to have got just nailed at the moment is he's got that kind of retro sound. Yeah. He's doing what David Holmes was doing on his film soundtracks. Exactly. And he's just updated it and and i think there's there's definitely a sort of there's a space for that sort of retro type sound and record but you have to kind of make it not too retro i think and then you can find that there's a there's a niche there's somewhere there for for that sound we just have to find it more of that at, at the ground sort of level and then take it up and then see what happens and hopefully i'll keep us more interested in what we're doing let's check out the portico quartet yeah, a bunch of kids um, out on BB, hopefully next year. And um, we're looking at getting Jerry Boys, who mixed the um, Buena Vista Social Album Club, to um, mix this record as well. Very unique sound. I mean, if anyone can describe it and send it to me on an email and just say where where on earth this will be sort of put in the record shop, let me know. Because it's not jazz, it's not world, but it's something. What's your email? Peter at bbmusic.com. <laughs> 
Well, I tell you what, that isn't um, what, I, what I was expecting from, <laughs> from, from BBE Records. I love it, though. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love it. And it's just one of those records that, uh, again, it's just not necessarily um, something that people will associate with um, BBE, but I, I'm, I'm tired of R&B and hip-hop. And it's kind of like I fell into that whole sort of genre and got sucked in more and more and more. But it's just very few people are doing things that are exciting me. And... Um, uh, we need we need some bands. We need to bring bands back into the whole sort of scene, the whole sort of jazz, funk, soul sort of element, but make it more current and relevant to today. And um, hopefully, I want to be at the forefront of that. You know, pushing bands. What labels um, are you checking out and admiring these days? It's hard to say labels, particularly. I think of just like things from scattered around from different things, and especially. And I, it, I feel really bad saying this, but also in this sort of MP3 culture as well, mm. it, it's easier to get things without really knowing who they belong to. So I apologise for everyone, but it's it, it, if I'm being honest, it's just not many things that I know. I mean, obviously, I'm aware of Ben Westbeach because even that came through me via Osanadish remix and stuff. And there's, um... But basically, when you're when you're checking out music yourself these days, whenever I come to your office, you've always got the laptop. You're yeah. always you're on you're on aim, and, and yeah. that's how you're working it. Yeah, and that's I think that's the, the future. Unfortunately, it's really detracting from the sort of whole personal thing of having rooms and spaces like this where you're going through and looking at things and reading interesting line of notes. But um, sometimes you get so much disposable stuff as well that it's probably the easiest way to be able to consume everything, listen to it, and then kind of make up your mind afterwards whether you want to sort of pursue it any further than that. So do you ever go... I've never seen you, actually, So, and I've been going for years. <laughs> but do you ever... I mean, actually, I've never seen you at Highbury, but I know you go there every year, so there you go. But but do you ever go to the West End and buy records? Do you I buy ha- records? Do you play records as your DJ? I stopped doing that this year. Right. Um, and mine's really because I've got a bad back. And when I was doing a press and promotion for Masters at Work... And I remember specifically, because the uh, FedEx delivery of uh, To Be In Love, and I lifted the box, and my back went, and it's never been the same ever since again. So, Kenny and Louie, you owe me big time. And um, that's it. So, now, now it's just CD wallets, bare them in tow, so I can read the titles on the CDJs, and then, you know, I'll I'll progress to um, Serato one day. So you don't go to record shops anymore? I don't go to record shops anymore. I haven't been for a long time, and I tend to get really bored really quickly when I do go in them now. So it's really bad. But it's, uh, the times are a-changing. Yeah. You're right. Who's going to win on Saturday? What's your feeling? I'm a bit worried about I, this one. I think it will be Arsenal's first loss at the Emirates, unfortunately. Because of... They've got what we don't have, which is like Zakora and, and you know, that, that pit bull in the middle of the park that we need to win the ball back and get it back. And then I think other, if we had one of those type of players, we would have won all our home games by now. We would have been a totally different team. But we, we you remember how Vieira used to, even if he lost the ball, he'd chase after people, slide those long legs and pick the ball from the other player's legs and then start the counter attack with it. We don't have that anymore. Mm. It's, we've got, and and that means that we don't have enough space and time to score goals at the other end because we're panicking when we get the ball, like you know, thrashing on it. But we, when we had that, we had all the pace. And the other thing that we're missing, that we're missing as well, is Reyes. Even though he's a fall around and stuff a lot, we're missing someone who's naturally sort of gives that that expansive 
dimension to our game to create more space up front. So when Arsene wrote back to you, did you write back to him about tactics? <laughs> you know what? I was watching a documentary <laughs> about him. Um, no, not about him, but it was a documentary John Cleese did about the ages of football. And it was like they had all these people talking and Arsene was one of them. And he said every Saturday he has people come up to him and saying, you know, um, you've got to win on Saturday, but no one actually tells him how to win. I really wish I'd meet him. I, I think I could tell him. I, I think I've got it sussed. But the player that we really need, we can't get right now. And that will be Essien. That would be, be really, cause, really... Cause, cause not because of Ghanaian. Not because of Ghanaian. That's got nothing to do with it at no, all. But that was the yeah, type, type of player that we need. Because Gilberto doesn't do that for Arsenal, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. And also Toure should be captain. But it's a very difficult one because he can't possibly take it away from Henri and give it to Toure yeah, now. You can't do that. You can't do that. I think we're missing Lauren, actually, a little bit. That too, because the is not very defensive. But you could make up that if you had someone in the middle of the park who could chase the ball. Then it will leave Fabregas the space to do what he does best. He's spending half his game tracking back trying to win the ball mm. and that shouldn't be his job mm. Arsene <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know who worries me a little bit on Saturday is um, Jermaine Defoe I think Jermaine Defoe it was a very nice turn he did in that game that last game yeah, I don't know if you saw it he's a good player but I think, very I, good I think he's an Arsenal player I think he wanted to come to Arsenal I think he's the fox in the box he's probably the fox in the box but there must be something wrong with Jermaine that is stopping Martignol from playing him regularly. He's playing in the wrong team. team. Yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> playing in the wrong team. Last tune. So is Samuel too, by the way. <laughs> He's playing in the wrong team. He should be at Arsenal. Um, last tune from the, the magnificent DJ Jazzy Jeff, um, forthcoming album on BBE, um, and the track featuring Raheem Devon. It's all replayed, so don't call me up saying it's been sampled. And, um, yeah, it's the, it, this will be out on January 5th. Part of the Jazzy Jeff EP on BBE. It rhymes. Good to see you, man. Thank you. To the street with my knapsack And I recorded Yes, they bought it And they toothed up and so glad I wrote this in a dream I'm a microphone feed From the red shot to the hi-hat And I die Proceed To rock the mic While they be loud Oh, I got the hustle in my brain I've been struggling and burning Even my lady says
what you hear is not a test, it's just on the ones and twos. And this here is the head not make your body rock to get you in the groove. What's wrong with him? I like the hip hop and bebop. What's wrong with him? I'm the truth in the booth. What's wrong with him?